0: Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, seven in 10 Americans are taking on extra work to help make ends meet. But could that side hustle get you fired from your real job? What both workers and employers need to understand about this growing trend. Also this morning, to your health as a postscript to Breast Cancer Awareness Month, what it means when the doctor says you have dense breasts and how it could impact your cancer risk. And November is a big month for the University of Findlay's Mazum Museum with another Fun day Sunday event, their annual educational conference, and the premiere of a PBS documentary on the history of the gallery and museum. I'll tell you what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, November 1st, 2022. Today is All Saints Day. Yesterday... Uh, All Hallows' Eve. Today is All Saints' Day. It is Extra Mile Day. Go the Extra Mile today. International Scented Candle Day. It is National Authors' Day. National Brush Day. National Deep-Fried Clams Day. <laughs> this seems very specific, doesn't it? Deep-Fried Clams, okay? National Family Literacy Day. National Go Cook for Your Pets Day, not go cook your pets, go cook for your pets. It's very important we clarify that. National Vinegar Day, and it is uh, National Prime Meridian Day, World Vegan Day. Today, the first day of a new month, and the month of November is, among other things, Adopt a Senior Pet Month, Aviation History Month, Banana Pudding Lovers Month, Diabetic Eye Disease Month, Epilepsy Awareness Month, Family Stories Month, Gluten-Free Diet Awareness Month, Historic Bridge Awareness Month, Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and it is November. so is that like a no-shave November or something? Anyway, so uh, reasons to celebrate and uh, so on and so forth uh, for uh, today and for the new month. So Halloween is over. Have you given any thought as to what you are going to do with all of those jack-o'-lanterns on your front porch? According to a report in the Associated Press, uh, the best thing to do, the one of the best things you can do with their uh, jack-o'-lanterns, those pumpkins, is compost them in the garden. Uh, absent that, you can donate them to community gardens, farms, or even a zoo or a local... Uh, Animal Sanctuary. Uh, Gardeners add pumpkins to the compost pile after removing any remaining seeds. Um, As a matter of fact, I know there are some communities that do a pumpkin collection for composting and recycling. So there may be a service in your area, wherever you happen to be listening this morning on air or online, a service in your area that can pick up your uh, unwanted pumpkins what you don't want to do is just to let them rot outside because rotting pumpkins can have all kinds of unwanted consequences on your surroundings Uh, they say uh, pumpkin flesh (laughs) is an interesting way of putting it pumpkin flesh can be dangerous for hedgehogs it attracts colonies of rats and also has a really, uh, really detrimental effect on woodland soils, plants, and fungi. So, uh, don't just let them sit there and, and rot. You'll definitely want to uh, compost them if you can. Or uh, get rid of them in an environmentally friendly sort of way. Also, with the uh, passing of Halloween uh, comes the, uh, the question you always ask on the day after After you get past Halloween and trick-or-treat and all of that, do you pilfer out of your kid's treat bag? Show of hands. Have you ever done that? And every parent's hand better be in the air because every parent has done it. Um, Not necessarily something that you should do, especially, apparently, if you're a guy. This uh, This is especially bad. Uh, New research out of the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri, shows that a poor lifestyle, uh, poor life habits, not living in an active, healthy lifestyle, takes a greater toll on men than it does women. Researchers analyzed insulin resistance in 26 men and women who were instructed to cut back on exercise and increase their consumption of uh, excess sugars. So for a time period, they they were told to not worry about their health. And only men experienced a decline in a protein known as adropin. I think it's how you pronounce it, which regulates insulin sensitivity. It is also a biomarker of cardiovascular disease, and only men had a drop-off in this key protein. It's the first time that they have studied the differences in the genders. Oh, kind of interesting there. Guys, it is especially important that you pay attention to a healthy, active lifestyle. Now that's not to say that there isn't bad news for women. We've got to make sure that by the way um you may have uh, have tried this. I thought this was kind of interesting on uh, the uh, health wire. Speaking of, you know, eating healthy and and things like that, are protein bars good really good for weight loss? A study at the university uh is Arizona State University, ASU. New study suggests that the trendy treat could be adding more calories to your diet than you realize. A couple dozen participants were encouraged to eat a protein bar within an hour of waking up every day for two weeks. And the study found that calorie consumption rose by 220 calories when participants were asked to eat the protein bar. So the bar was not necessarily causing them to eat less throughout the day. Uh, fat mass in those in the study increased by 1.1 pounds. A high-protein diet can reduce hunger, but since protein bars also contain added sugars and high-fructose corn syrup, they may be contributing to weight gain instead of weight loss. So as we're talking about uh, you know, eating healthier and all of that, Uh, protein bars may not be the panacea you think they are. So anyway, I kind of got off on that to a bit of a tangent, but I thought it was related to what we were talking about. Uh, Now, again, the uh, differences between men and women. Men uh, leading a less healthy lifestyle seem to have uh, more adverse effects. But that is not to say that women are completely immune. We've got bad news for you, too, ladies, as we are an equal opportunity bearer of bad news. And this is not what you want to hear if you are both pregnant and a coffee addict, based on an analysis of twenty five hundred children, both boys and girls. uh drinking coffee during pregnancy can shorten your child <laughs> not, not not shorten their life or uh, anything like that. physically shorten them. <laughs> Findings, this according to uh, Dr. Catherine Grants, a uh, study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Uh, Dr. Grants says our findings for height are similar in magnitude to those of children whose mothers smoked during pregnancy. So, uh, drinking too much coffee can lead to shorter children. Uh, our findings indicate that maternal caffeine consumption is associated with long-term decreases in child height. While some public guidelines recommend less than 200 milligrams of caffeine a day, uh, the, uh, this study found that caffeine impacted height at far lower levels, just half a cup a day linked to a height difference in your children. So if you uh, are pregnant and a coffee addict, bad news for you there this morning i just want to make sure that we uh equal opportunity bearer of bad news with respect to this and uh one other item here among the first things you need to know this morning again i realize that we're past halloween but i thought this was interesting i did see this yesterday what's on halloween and this is the first opportunity we've had to talk about it so i wanted to bring this up because we were talking yesterday a little bit about scary movies as some people will binge watch scary movies on halloween Uh, others will avoid them according to the experts the scariest these are the uh uh, film experts at 10 publications and websites from teen vogue to rolling stone to rotten tomatoes uh, they crunched all of the numbers of all of these film critics film experts and so on these various publications and they came up with a list of the scariest movies ever made number one on the list the exorcist that one's pretty scary and as we were talking yesterday that's one of those that just gives me the the creeps um and it's more the psychological part of it that it really freaks me out Uh, more than the blood and guts or anything like that i can i can watch the slasher films and you know that has no it doesn't give me nightmares or anything like this the psychological thrillers that just freak me out but the exorcist number one is the scariest movie ever made uh let's see here fans apparently believe so as well in a survey by the streaming service voodoo fans put the exorcist on top of their go-to movie list for cinematic scares uh let's see here number one on the list on the experts compilation list the 1978 classic Halloween, the original Halloween movie. So The Exorcist and Halloween um, are numbers one and two on the scary movie list. The The film Paranormal Activity from 2007, third on the list, more modern film. Uh, let's see here. It says the film turns a simple haunted house story into 90 minutes of relentless suspense, according to Rotten Tomatoes. The Shining ranked fourth with Jack Nicholson, 1980, mm. and rounding out the top five, the scariest movies of all time, It Follows. There was a sequel to It uh, that was released back in 2014, It Follows, which according to Vulture.com, the uh, website Vulture.com, pop culture website, Uh, It follows, uh, ushered in the era of what is now called elevated horror. Uh, They called the film an unforgettable uh, example of the genre. There you go. The scariest movies of all time if you're not quite done with Halloween yet. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your
1: Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchak. Your WTOL 11 weather. Becoming mostly sunny today, a high of 66. Just a few clouds tonight, a low of 44. Liberty Benton Elementary School says students have been having a fun time this year getting to know Otis, the elementary school's new school facility dog. Counselor Barb Gazette says Otis has been with the school since the beginning of September and helps the students with their emotional needs. So he greets the kids off the
2: buses. He goes to my classroom visits. I take him into the to the hallways, just places where they can see him and have some time to just lift their spirits. Uh, He's been called out for students who are upset, stressed.
1: She says the Ability Center of Greater Toledo donated Otis to the school, and she's also thankful for Otis's many local sponsors. See some video of Otis in one of the classrooms and learn more about him on the website. A vinyl tile manufacturing company in Fostoria is facing more than a million dollars in penalties after a worker was caught in a machine earlier this year.
3: The inspection at the Knox US LLC plant in Fostoria found the injured worker's finger was first caught in a rotating spindle and then their body was pulled around the machine spindle. The worker, who had been on the job about six weeks, suffered multiple severe injuries that required surgery. OSHA cited the company for numerous violations, including exposing workers to machine hazards and failing to train their workers adequately. Eric Brown, ONN
1: News. The Ohio State Highway Patrol says it's seen more teenagers practice unsafe driving habits, resulting in more crashes.
3: There have been 91 deadly teen-related crashes in the state, and so far, nine of those deaths have been in northwest Ohio. Troopers say it's important for parents to have conversations with their kids, talking about what a huge responsibility driving safety is. So making good choices, you know, buckling up not using that cell phone, eliminating the distraction, uh, not driving impaired.
1: WTOL 11's Amanda Fay reporting. Get more on the website. The Fall Art Walk will be held in downtown Finley on Friday from 5 to 9 p.m. Downtown Art Anchor's Finley Art League Marathon Center for the Performing Arts and Jones Building Artist Studios will be open, as well as the Hancock Historical Museum. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM.
0: I saw a piece the other day from Yahoo News that 70% of Americans, 70%, are taking on a side hustle in order to make ends meet. But while having more than one job is a trend that is born out of necessity for many workers, it isn't necessarily sitting well with some employers chris westfall is a business coach and author of several bestsellers on business development team building and achieving peak performance and chris what is the hang-up that employers most often seem to have is it just the idea of an employee splitting their time between multiple jobs or is there something specific related to a worker's main job that having a side hustle could compromise
4: well employers want focus and they want performance from their employees and so What employers are trying to avoid is some kind of conflict of interest that would take away from the employee's performance. The key is if you're looking to find a a side hustle or create new income streams for yourself, you got to have a conversation with your boss. You got to make sure that there's no conflict of interest because, you know, right now inflation is impacting everybody Mm -hmm. and employers have to understand. They got to understand the nature of work is changing. And employers have to be flexible just as employees are flexible when they're trying to maximize their money.
0: Well, that, that was actually going to be one of the questions that kind of speaks to, I would imagine now, obviously this can vary greatly depending on the type of field that one's main job involves. But do you find that in most cases, those concerns on the part of an employer are justified or are they more perception than reality given the changing nature of work in general?
4: It's more perception than reality. And the reality is, that employers and organizations and companies need to understand that work is changing. And if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that we can still perform in unusual circumstances. And because people are able to put their skills to work in different companies, different organizations, there's this growing trend called overemployment, where people are taking on not just a side hustle, but they're taking on multiple full-time jobs.
3: Mm. Now the people
4: who are doing this they're they're knowledge workers right they're and, and mostly working from home working remotely but folks are are creating conflicts of interest and employers when they find out that people are taking on more than one full-time job that's not just a side hustle that's that's potentially a clear conflict of interest and some employers are firing employees who double dip
0: now? Uh, again, we mentioned that uh, from the employer uh, side, maybe it's more perception than reality. But uh, from the employee side, what is the best advice then for not going too far with this idea of taking on multiple jobs in order to you know increase your income?
4: Well, you've got to leverage the oldest tool in business. And this is going to sound perhaps outrageous, but the oldest tool in business is still a conversation. And if you're looking to maximize your revenues, if you're looking to, to beat back inflation, and who isn't, what it means is you've got to have a clear conversation with your boss, your supervisor, and make sure that there's, there's, not, there's not a conflict of interest. We're all looking for balance. Work-life balance has changed. It's really just about life right now yeah. and creating the life that you want starts with, I think it starts with that conversation, Chris.
0: It is kind of interesting because I can hear a lot of people saying, well, they don't want me to take a side hustle, uh, pay me enough that I don't have to. And it is true that worker pay over the years has not kept up with inflation. Although, to be fair, it would be hard right now for compensation to keep pace with inflation the way it's going up. Uh, but there is some truth hmm. to that. So how, but you don't want to necessarily take that stand because that can be very combative and confrontational what is the best way to have that conversation what should employees do what should employers do in order to come up with some sort of resolution that both sides can live with
4: you got to replace confrontation with cleverness and you you have to adapt these these four words to your situation i've thought this through Mm. and when you go to your employer and you and if, and again if you can convey those four words and and share with them how you thought this through how there is not a conflict of interest you basically take the challenge or the confrontation out of it and and the discussion goes from a permission conversation to an information conversation i'm informing you of what i'm going to do it's it's not a threat it's not a confrontation it's just about adapting to economic conditions and by the way companies that don't adapt are going to have to pay the price because they're going to experience quiet quitting they're going to experience the the alternatives if if they try to tighten the noose around the employee's neck
0: but are there some limits that employers uh, should reasonably place on uh employees who want to take on a side hustle or even uh you know as you mentioned you know, second full-time employment
4: that's a great question. I mean,
0: some companies
4: are actually okay with this trend of overemployment for specific jobs, specific roles, etc. But the key issue here is how we design work. A big part of my consulting and coaching with with employers and employees is to say, have we really looked at how the organization is, is designed? Is it built to do what you want it to do? And setting expectations for employees is one thing but moving into agreements from those expectations mm. allows employers to to impose what you know what you're pointing at chris which is what are their rights and their rights are to have focus to have performance i mean that's what they're paying you for so if you're going to create a side hustle or if you're going to dive into this pool of overemployment you have to make sure that you can get the job done otherwise you're going to risk everything that you're working on.
0: Yeah, and as you were mentioning, uh, there are cases of employers showing employees the door uh, because they're not happy with uh, the way they are dividing their time among many masters. And to be clear, in many, if not most cases, it is perfectly legal for an employer to uh, let you go because of this, right?
4: Absolutely. And particularly in employment at will states, you know, when, when you're talking employment at will, the employer... Has the right to ask for for performance, mm-hmm. for output, and that's just that's just how work works. But here's the thing: people are able to to deliver more these days. We've seen that from the pandemic. It's what we've learned is that the nature of work has changed, and how employees show up. It doesn't have to be a, a traditional sort of business model, and. And exploring some creativity and some cleverness around the way that you design work is the way that employers get what they want, the business gets the outcomes that they need, but so do employees. And, and if you don't respond to what employees want quiet quitting is going to be the result
0: yeah uh it's really interesting that a lot of this is born out of the pandemic and uh you know all the storylines were you know the work at home uh model and would that continue maybe that's maybe we're just uh seeing just a slim part of that this is more the big picture that we should be uh focusing on really interesting stuff Again, uh, Chris Westfall is a business coach, author of several bestsellers on business development and team building and achieving peak performance. You have a website where folks can learn more about your work?
4: I do. It's westfallonline.com. And my last name, it's like the direction in the season, westfallonline.com. That's me.
0: Chris, thanks very much for taking the time sharing your insight. We appreciate it. Great to talk with you. Thanks for having me. To your health this morning, October, as everyone knows, is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And even though the month has now passed, the issue obviously is still just as relevant. So as a postscript to Breast Cancer Awareness Month this morning, I want to highlight the fact that nearly half of women age 40 and over, when they have a mammogram, will be told that they have dense breasts, which can increase their risk of breast cancer. That can be rather scary to hear, so we're going to try and take some of the mystery out of that this morning with Dr. Pamela Habib, head of U.S. Medical Affairs for Bayer Radiology, and Dr. David Schacht, uh, breast uh, radiologist at Northwestern's Lynn Sage Breast Center at Prentice Women's Hospital. And I'll kind of throw these, uh, this out for for either or both of you. Uh, first of all, the basics: What is breast density, and how does it relate and impact uh, relate to and impact breast cancer risk?
2: That is a great question, Chris. And breast density is something that we can identify on a mammogram. So it's not something that a woman can feel and know if she has dense breasts or not. But on a mammogram, we can identify what we call fatty tissue and then dense tissue, which is the fibroglandular tissue of the breast. Uh, the reason why it's important is twofold. So first, um, dense breast tissue appears white on a mammogram. However, tumors can also appear white. So in a very dense breast, it can be very difficult to find a tiny tumor hidden within all of that dense breast tissue. So that's one reason why it's important to be aware uh, if you have dense breast. The second is that it creates an underlying increased risk of having dense breast separate from the fact that it makes the mammogram difficult to read. So, women with the most extremely dense breast category are four to six times more likely to develop breast cancer compared to women who have non dense breasts. So, because of this, it's very important to be aware um, of whether or not you have dense breasts. However, I do want to stress that it's a normal finding. As you mentioned, it's very common, and um, it doesn't, it, it's, in and of itself, it's, it's not a reason to read that and to create alarm, but it is important to have a conversation with your healthcare provider. Maybe additional screening
0: might make sense for you. Well, you uh, kind of touched on what was going to be my next question with respect to the way that dense breasts impact breast cancer risk. Where does that rank on kind of the hierarchy of of cancer risk concerns? I mean, we know that there are a number of factors that influence one's risk for breast cancer. Uh, how uh, how does this rank? Kind of put this in perspective.
3: Yeah, that's a great great question, Chris. And actually, some of the newer what are called risk assessment models have started to add um, breast density as a relatively uh, less high-risk factor compared to some of the other things that many people have probably heard about and and know about personally in terms of family history, especially relatives who have maybe had breast cancer at a young age. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly, some of the now-known genetic mutations that convey very high risk for uh, breast cancer um, so, it, so it's there, and it's important to, to be aware of, and thankfully, some of the newer uh, models are starting to use breast density as a, an additional factor um, for consideration when women are sort of understanding their overall risk and and kind of putting it in the perspective of that.
0: So if a woman, when she has her mammogram, is told that she has dense breasts, what then should be the next questions she should ask of her healthcare provider?
2: I think the most important thing is to have an open conversation with your healthcare provider because the guidelines are actually not clear-cut. So it's not a one-size-fits-all answer for whether or not someone with dense breast should receive additional screening. However, there are a lot of factors to consider. I think the most important question to start with is how dense are my breasts and do I fall within a specific density category? Um, but then to, to further discuss what does it mean for my personal breast cancer risk? Uh, and then sharing other risk factors. Your, your healthcare provider should ask, but if they don't, you should definitely share other risk factors the ones that Dr. Schock mentioned about family history and other risk factors that you might have, and then your healthcare provider can, after this discussion, take into account your risk factors, take into account your mammogram findings, your breast density, and come up with the best solution for you of whether additional supplemental screening might make sense on top of your annual mammogram.
0: (laughs) So, uh, Dr. Habib, as you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, referencing additional screenings or supplemental imaging beyond a mammogram, if a woman is told she has dense breasts, uh, is a mammogram enough or does that automatically uh, mean uh, that she would want to have uh, additional imaging beyond uh, the standard uh, mammogram? That's
2: a great question. So mammograms, uh, as I mentioned, are difficult to read in a woman with dense breasts. And they can miss up to 40% of cancers in women with dense breasts. However, it's still the best test that we have as a baseline screening test. So, um, for even if someone needs additional screening, they should always start with that mammogram. We have lots of data showing that mammograms save lives. Um, now, on top of that, if uh, additional screening might be necessary, uh, as I mentioned, if there are other risk factors involved, those tests include breast ultrasound. Um, a newer technology called contrast-enhanced mammography, which is similar to a mammogram, but there's a dye injected into the veins for um, a breast MRI, all of these tests can help detect additional findings or cancers in women with dense breasts. Um, so it may make sense to have these tests, but it's really great to start that conversation with your doctor to see if it makes
0: sense. So is this the the reason why in recent years uh, many women have heard uh, some say that oh a mammogram may not be as effective as we uh, as we first thought and and maybe the mammogram is not the uh, the be all and end all and and you know uh, there have been some uh, stories about that uh, in the news and it sounds as though from what i'm hearing uh, from you that maybe uh, some of those stories, some of those fears uh, might be taken out of context or overblown. Uh, it all really depends on what we're talking about here. Is this kind of the origin of some of those stories that people have heard in recent years? You
3: no, know, there are so many kind of different and personal stories out there. Uh, you know, I'd say from from my perspective, the important thing to keep in mind is that the, the science shows that mammograms save lives aco- across the entire spectrum of breast density. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's why it's important that starting at the age of 40 every year, women get their mammograms. And then we really think about doing additional um, what we call supplemental screening on top of that um, yearly MRI. and, And that's really the strategy that saves
2: the most lives.
0: Again, Dr. Pamela Habib is head of U.S. Medical Affairs for Bayer Radiology. Dr. David Schacht is uh, breast radiologist, Northwestern's uh, Lynn Sage Breast Center at Prentice, Prentice Women's Hospital. October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, uh, talking about uh, the uh, information that many women will receive uh, regarding the density of their breasts. And where do folks get more information on all of this?
2: I can point them towards the website, densebreastresources.com. This website has a lot of information on breast density and tips for talking to your healthcare provider uh, about dense breasts and about your screening needs. So I think it's a great place to start to to gather information.
0: Hopefully uh, removing some of the uh, uncertainty or scariness surrounding uh, this this information. And thank you both for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you,
2: Chris. Thank you.: We
5: interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert.
0: Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you is a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services.: Do I have my broken news. Let <laughs> get myself organized here. So here we go. Uh, you know that the story is going to be good when this is the headline, and I'm quoting. Robbers ransack phone store, get caught after leaving their phone behind, unquote. (laughs) I don't really need to go on. You know that this is going to be a good story. Police in Tulsa, Oklahoma, say Dylan Slack and his accomplice, David McCullough, who happens to be Dylan's dad, (laughs) well, at least they've discovered a father-son family activity that he... Uh, Dylan and David broke into the AT&T store and ransacked the place. In addition to causing over $1,000 in damage, smashing through the windows and display cases, Mr. Slack also scooped up just about every electronic device he could get his hot hands on. One problem was that uh, in order to scoop up the stuff that he wanted to steal, he had to put his own phone down. (laughs) And then he forgot about it and left it behind for police to find. (laughs) Uh, Authorities say they took the phone as evidence before Mr. Slack realized that it was missing. And like any bad criminal, uh, Dylan returned to the scene of the crime to to try and recover his phone. Uh, And that's when he was placed under arrest. Uh, upon his arrest, Mr. Slack admitted to stealing from the store and said his father's only crime was sitting in the getaway car as he ransacked the place. Uh, both men, though, face charges of robbery and false impersonation. And if you're curious as to why the latter charge, when police approached Mr. Slack, he claimed that his name was Matt Damon. (laughs) Not the sharpest tool in the shed right there. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You knew it was going to be a good story just from the headline. Elsewhere in the broken news, postscript on Halloween. This is kind of crazy. A family in Maryland uh, ordered what they thought was a prop casket for a Halloween party. But we shocked to find a deceased woman's belongings inside said casket. Uh, among the dead woman's things were what they suspected were her ashes. Here's a report from Fox News. The Wozniak family ordered the casket from Facebook Marketplace, but posted a video after the bizarre discovery in hopes of returning the items the deceased woman's granddaughter came across the video, showed her mother, and eventually met with the Wozniaks to retrieve the family heirlooms. Wow. That is crazy. I would think that there would have to be an investigation uh, into whoever it was that sold the casket as a prop in the first place. Don't you think? Speaking of death and dying... Which, again, is not always part of the broken news because when, when people die, uh, it's not always funny. Sometimes it's just weird, like that story. Um, sometimes it's weird when a pet dies. This story out of Australia. When a family loses a beloved pet, most times they will opt to memorialize their furry family member by keeping a few of their possessions, putting pictures around the house, maybe making a mold of a paw print or something like that. And then there is this family from Australia who decided to hold on to the memory of their deceased golden retriever by turning him into a rug. That's right. You heard correctly. A local taxidermist uh, tells news reporters the pelt has been tanned and turned to leather so the fur won't far out, fall out. <laughs> and they've turned their dog into a rug. Or to bearskin skin rugs. This is a golden retriever skin rug. <clears throat> Obviously, this has caused mixed reaction online. Some people hail it as a creative way to keep the memory of their dog alive. Others found it a little macabre. mm <clears throat> The taxidermist admits it is a solution that is definitely not for everyone. Yeah, <clears throat> I wouldn't say not. Let's move on. This is a uh, <laughs> weird story. Um, out of uh, let's see here, uh, the where's this? The skins and aquarium. Um, skins aquarium. Where is this? I don't know um, there. There's no uh, dateline on this uh, story, but a king cobra snake that escaped from its enclosure a week ago has returned on its own. The snake slid out through a light fixture in his terrarium and evaded capture by officials at the uh, aquarium where he was housed for an entire week this is a king cobra that was on the loose for a week and then on Sundays decided to make an appearance uh, aquarium officials say they don't believe the snake ever left the building as he had been spotted several times but never successfully captured and eventually he just made his way back to the terrarium he just decided to go out for a little slither uh for a week and then he came back home just a little vacation the aquarium says the uh, terrarium has been secured and the snake will be on public display soon once again by the way the name of the snake houdini which i guess is appropriate <clears throat> houdini came home on his own it's crazy and finally in the uh, broken news this morning This also from the international file uh, from Ireland, a man who got fired from his job for drinking while on the clock, drinking to the point that he became unconscious, mind you, now has been awarded nearly $40,000 in a workplace discrimination suit. Let me give you the story. This is uh, from the uh, British tabloid The Independent. Apparently, uh this employee worked as a manager for a small grocery store uh in Ireland. That is he was employed there until he decided to uh get hammered while on the clock. Uh apparently the uh, employee Eamon Murphy is his name. Um his employers had decided to give him Okay, let me see here. Make sure that I get this uh, story right. Uh, Apparently, his uh, employers left him in charge of the store while they uh, went away for the weekend so they could attend their daughter's wedding. Uh, He decided to bring a considerable volume of alcohol with him to work and drank to such an extent that he had become completely unconscious completely unconscious. Um, Now, apparently uh, he had done the same thing a year earlier and promised never to do it again. He even went through a recovery program and seemed to be walking the straight and narrow. And that's why his employers trusted him while they went away for the weekend. Turns out he couldn't be trusted. So they fired him for drinking to the point of unconsciousness while on the job, you would think that's a reasonable—that's uh, that's reasonable grounds to be terminated. But the employee, Mr. Murphy, filed a complaint with the Workplace Relations Commission, which has now ruled that he was discriminated against for being an alcoholic. <laughs> the attorney said uh, basically the complainant was dismissed simply because he's an alcoholic and that is grossly discriminatory. (laughs) He has been awarded nearly $40,000 in compensation. Is that crazy or what? (laughs) There you go. Somehow, though, I'm not surprised. I'm just not. There you go. Uh, That is today's uh, broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And yet another major brand just announced is halting all social media advertising.
5: The two most overused and abused words in advertising are truth and trust. They are the two most precious commodities for all brands, big and small. As an advertiser, you have to trust your partners to protect your brand's truth using the media consumer's
0: trust. trust. Radio, it's on. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. We're coming up in the... Uh, Travel season with the holidays uh, approaching, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and so on and so forth. Most of the time, people this time of year will travel to visit family associated with the holidays and uh, so on. But not everybody. Some people, you know, like to escape the uh, cold weather and uh, go someplace warm for a week or two. I get it. And it may be a good idea for your relationship as well. New survey of 2,000 adults looks at the magic of vacationing especially with that special someone and they found that three quarters of americans in the survey believe that vacations are great for those looking to keep the spark alive in their relationship 77 percent said a vacation is a great way to keep the spark alive 42 uh, percent of Americans have fallen back in love with a partner after going on vacation together. So maybe you hit a little rough patch, you go on vacation. It's a great way to uh, rekindle that relationship. Overall, vacations are a joyous time, making the average person feel 65% happier. (laughs) That's the number that people placed on the increase in happiness on going on vacation, 65%. More than half shared that their world feels bigger after coming back from vacation. 58% uh, put it that way. 78% agree that traveling is always more fun with a buddy, so much so that the same percentage would postpone their vacation if a loved one was not able to make it. Uh, People usually go on vacation with family. 45% say they go on vacation with family. 37% say they go on vacation with with a uh with a partner, uh romantic partner, wife, uh boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, whatever. And uh this is kind of interesting. Thirty seven percent say that there are the most perks when traveling with just their partner or in a small group, as opposed to a large uh group. Kind of interesting. I think most people do travel with the uh, just a partner or a small group. I don't know how many people go on big, huge group vacations, but anyway. Uh, the survey was conducted by one poll for BeachBound.com, a travel company. Uh, the survey finds three and four believe that spending time, just spending time on vacation with their loved ones make them feel refreshed. 76% say spending time on vacation with their loved ones make them feel refreshed. 79% say traveling with someone is one of the best ways to strengthen your bond with someone. So good for your soul. Good for your relationship. Well, November is going to be a big month for the University of Findlay's Mazza Museum. Got a lot of things going on. Ben Sapp is uh, with us from the uh, Maza Museum at the University of Finley. Ben, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. Uh, you've got uh, Tales for Tots tomorrow, another fun day Sunday happening this weekend. Give us all of the details on all of this here, first of all.
5: Thank you. Um, tomorrow at 11 o'clock, we have Tales for Tots at the Maz Museum. It's a it's a preschool age program uh, with story time, uh, songs, uh, even art activities. And so we welcome uh, anyone with uh, young children to come and be a part of that. And then, Funday Sunday, it's the first one of the year on Sunday from 1 to 4. Uh, You can register on our uh, website. It's free and open to the public. And this Sunday is being sponsored by the Finley Hancock County Community Foundation. Uh, The topic or the theme will be trees. Every family that comes will get a free book. Uh, You can plant a tree and take it home with you. Um, There will be a lot of wonderful activities going on throughout the day. Um, The Ballet Theater of Toledo will be coming, bringing some dancers with them. Uh, So it'll be a wide array of of topics and interest uh, that will relate to families.
0: And once again, uh, those events are in person at the museum. Indeed. So. Uh,
5: yes, it's great to be back in person and, and offering these to our public.
0: So uh, Toys or toys, <laughs> toys for Tots, uh, Tales for Tots, uh, coming up tomorrow. And uh, then uh, Fun Day Sunday is uh, this uh, weekend, first of the year. For those who are not familiar... Uh, The Fun Day Sunday, especially, is a uh, longstanding tradition.
5: It is. It's been in existence for many, many years. Uh, There are probably 20 different stations that will be available to the parents and their children uh, with hands-on activities, uh, all art and literature based.
0: Okay. Uh, Now, you also have a – every year you put uh, an educational conference on for uh, educators and, and so on. Uh, that'll be coming up in November as well. It's a weekend thing.
5: Sure, uh, November 11th and 12th, uh, we have our annual weekend conference. There will be six different author illustrators uh, coming from around the the country to speak to teachers, librarians, students, anyone interested in art, writing, and uh, that that is helped to to make up picture books.
0: Now, for that event. Uh, Registration necessary, and all of the give us all of the uh, particulars, the nuts and bolts, as it were.
5: Sure, registration is available on our website. Um, it is $125 for the conference. Okay, uh, teachers, librarians will receive a certificate of contact hours, so it's something that you can come take and uh, use for uh, renewing uh, your license
0: uh, uh, in that way. And again, this is in-person?
5: It is. In-person, there's also a virtual option where the uh, keynote speakers will be recorded, and that will be shared with you the following
0: week. Okay. And uh, one of the really cool things that's coming up this month uh, that we want to highlight, especially for those who maybe are not familiar with the Mazda Gallery and how it came to be, a uh, documentary that is going to premiere later this month on WBGU television on PBS.
5: Exactly. And it'll actually be previewed, uh, an airing on the Friday night of the conference. So, Friday night, uh, November 11th, uh, WBGU PBS will be sharing The Magic of Mazza. There will be 10 different author illustrators from across the country that will be sharing their feelings of the importance of the mass museum it has on the world of picture books. And then on November 17th, then it'll be aired to the general public
0: for the benefit of those who don't know the entire backstory. Talk a little bit about how this, uh, Gallery and museum came to be from some very humble beginnings.
5: Sure, um, it started in 1982, so this is our 40th anniversary. We started with four original works of art uh, from an idea that Dr. Jerry Mallet, a founding the founding director and a college professor at the University of Findlay with the help of Dr. August and Alita Mazza. The three of them really started the collection in, uh, in the basement of the college library with the hope and dream that someday we might be able to have one new work of art a year. Well, today we have over 19,000 original works of art from artists from all over
0: the world. It's just amazing. It is the uh, It was the first of its kind and the largest of its kind today.
5: Correct, and most diverse, and that is due in part to the support of the University of Findlay and many, many authors, illustrators, and the support of this community.
0: You know, when I first uh, came to the community and heard about the Maza Museum and the specialty of art from uh, children's picture books, uh, I thought to myself, well, that's really an interesting concept. Um, but then the more I thought about it, I, it was uh, like I'm surprised that nobody has done this before.
5: Right. And, and since, since the creation of the Maz Museum, there are five other institutions hmm. uh, that do somewhat of the same thing. We're all different, a little bit different in our own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've collaborated and put exhibits together that have traveled the country. We're all in different places of the United States. And so it works well in helping to share the importance Uh, of this this work uh, that it has in in the creation of picture books
0: yeah when when you think back of this uh, 40 year history as you mentioned the 40th anniversary what what jumps out at you what is the 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 biggest thing and again we talk about the uh, documentary and and this evolution of the uh, of the museum what really stands out to you and and makes you kind of pause
5: you know I think every day um, there's an opportunity to teach um, someone of all ages um, about the importance and and taking stories and having it reflect the lives of the person that you may be talking with. Um, So uh, I guess looking at yesterday, today, and tomorrow and what new stories and new experiences may uh, come about because of this museum that's been set forth.
0: And the the appreciation that it has... uh... Given to the recognition and the appreciation uh, to those artists who do work for uh, children's books. Because, again, historically, uh, years past, it's been, I don't want to say dismissed, but not really thought of as quote unquote art. And this is definitely an art form.
5: Exactly. In the early years, it was really, it truly was dismissed. Sometimes it was even thrown away after the book was published. And uh, Dr. Jerry Mallet's thought was to change that. That idea and uh, to really look at it as true art.
0: It really is uh, cool to go to the gallery and you see something, uh, an actual work of art hanging there as a work of art and immediately recognizing it from the book or seeing it in the book Mm -hmm. and making that connection. Indeed. Indeed. Um, so, again, opportunities for folks to uh, to come by and experience the uh, museum and the uh, gallery. The Tales for Tots is coming up tomorrow.
5: Tomorrow at 11 a.m. Mm-hmm.
0: And then uh, Funday Sunday. Give us all of the details on this again.
5: Sure. Funday Sunday is this Sunday, November 6th from 1 to 4. Uh, please register on uh, our website just so that we know how many uh, to expect. And then we have our weekend conference, November 11th and 12th, with that Friday evening, Uh, Before the first speaker will be the uh, airing of the PBS documentary,
0: The Magic of Mazda. That is terrific stuff. And uh, folks, register for the weekend conference now. Yes. Uh, on that. And we've got a link up for more information on our webpage. Go to uh, goodmornings.net. And again, uh, Ben Sapp with the uh, University of Finley's Maza Museum with us this morning. Talk about what's happening in a very busy month of November. Ben, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the Topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. So check us out online. Coming up tomorrow on the program, another interest rate hike is likely coming this week, despite growing opposition from lawmakers and warnings by economists and business leaders that the economy is being pushed toward recession. Is the Federal Reserve stuck between a rock and a hard place? Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out, make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.